You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. Good morning. My name is Elliot Robinson, and today we will be reading from Luke 8, verse, oh, Luke 8 verses 1 through 3 and verses 19 through 21. This will be found on page 596 in the Bibles in the seatbacks in front of you. Um, And if you don't have a Bible, please feel free to take one as a gift from us to you. Okay. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. Verses 19. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mothers and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for today. Thank you that we get to learn more about you. I pray that our hearts will be open to understanding of your word, and I pray that you will be with Jeremy as he preaches your word. And in your name I pray, amen. Amen, amen. Thank you, Elia. One of my favorite singer-songwriters is Sarah Groves, and she has a song I like to listen to, one of my playlists, called Like a Skin. I'd like to share lyrics from that song with you as we begin this morning. That's how she puts it. She uh, writes, the butterfly can just look back, flap those wings and say, oh yeah, and never have to be a worm again. A snake gets tired of being him. Wriggles from that itchy skin, leaves it lying where he's been, moves on. But I've been longing for something tangible, some kind of proof that there's been change in me. Feels like I've been waking up only to fight with the same old stuff. Change is slow, but it fills me with such doubt. Come on new man, where you been? Help me wriggle from this self I'm in and leave it like a skin upon the ground. I like this song because I think it captures well, especially with her piano and voice, the, the, the relevant struggle Christians can have trying to figure out When is the significant change that we all long for actually going to happen in our lives? If you didn't read the fine print when you became a Christian, the big idea is that anybody who's in new Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. That's 2 Corinthians 5.17. Ask somebody how to grow in Jesus, they'll give you a Bible memory plan. That's one of the first ones you memorize. There's a new man coming. Has anybody in here, though, been walking with Jesus and thought, I'm still struggling with the same old wormy sins I've always struggled with. Where's that new man? 
Anybody brave enough to admit that there's junk going on inside of our hearts that we wish wasn't there? What, what is a Christian supposed to do when it just feels like we're trying to be butterflies, but we're just old caterpillars running around here? How do we find real change? One of the gospel truths that we try to talk about around here when, when it's relevant to the text comes from Romans 8, where we find in the middle of this glorious chapter, Paul telling the church in Rome that all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you're not given a spirit of fear to fall back into slavery, but you've been given a Spirit of adoption of sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. And man, I hear that. I read that some mornings and I think, there it is. There's that new creation I've been waiting for. And I'm just flying. But then a few moments later, a few days later, it's like, man, I'm just the same old wormy guy. I think there's something that Sarah Groves gets at that's right. It's, I think it's enviable to be a butterfly because, because the change has happened. And you aren't that old caterpillar anymore. You never have to go back. Is this concept of the new man from scriptures True. Is Romans 8 real? Are you and I co-heirs with Christ as Christians? And what are we supposed to do if we don't know for sure? Good morning and welcome to Mill Creek. I'm glad you're here with us this morning. If you've wrestled with any of these questions, if you're wondering how the scriptures speak to those of us who feel impatient with our progress, those of us struggling with perseverance, I'm glad you're with us this morning. We're going to get in, see how God's Word answers both of those questions in this passage in Luke 8. To get to those answers, first we're going to have to walk through the text. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you open to Romans 8? I'll be in the ESV version. You can grab one of the Bibles in the seat backs. And the reason I want you to have your Bible open or flip to the backside of the little handout is because I just want you to know I didn't wake up one day and go, man, maybe we should write a sermon on patience and perseverance and just info dump that to you. No, as we do around here, whatever the main idea of the text is, is the main idea of the sermon. And this is what Luke 8 is going to do because Luke doesn't want you walking out of this chapter not having some confidence about whether or not you're in his Christ's family. So there's really three questions this text answers for us. And so there's going to be three questions in the sermon. Here's the first one. Who is really in Jesus' family? Who is really in Jesus' family? Now, we usually start in a sermon at the verse 1 and we end at the end of it. Today is 21. But this one we're actually going to do backwards. We'll get to it all. But let me start in 19 to 21 because it actually does a better job of setting up what Luke is trying to get done. Let's ask this question. Who is really in Jesus' Family. Look at the end of chapter 8, verse 19, and I want you to see there 
that there are Jesus' biological brothers and mom who want to talk to Jesus. And there's a big crowd. They can't quite get to him. So they send somebody, hey, please let Jesus know we want to talk to him. And then Jesus says the most surprising of responses, my mother and brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it, which I take at first glance as terribly rude. How rude. I mean, if my mom and brothers came and said, hey, we'd like to have a word with you, and I said, those who actually read God's word and do it are those who are my true mothers and brothers, they'd, well, one of them had hit me. That's what would happen. Why is Jesus treating his immediate family like this? Well, here's, we, here's the answer. Here's what Luke is doing in this section. There is a key word in verses 1 to 21, and that word is hear, H-E-A-R, hear, hearing. And we're going to find it coming up repeatedly in this section. In fact, if you've got the Bible open in front of you, you could probably scan through and say, oh, wow, that does keep coming up, and that's a key word in this passage, and Jesus then, he's not just being rude, he's using this as a teaching moment. This is what Jesus is doing. He's saying, my true family isn't who you think they are. That's what he's doing. My true family isn't who you think they are. You may think that's my family, but my true family are those who hear the word of God and do it. And that's the answer to this first question. Who was really in Jesus' family? Those who hear the word of God and do it. We might say Jesus' family isn't just those related to him biologically. It's those committed to Jesus' words obediently. His family isn't biological. It's relationship of obedience. We'll move back to verses 1 to 3. And then we find that in verses 1 to 3, this is who Jesus' true family is. Look there in verses 1 to 3. Who's Jesus' true mothers and brothers? It's the 12, which would be the 12 apostles. They got listed in Luke 5. Those are his brothers. And then his mothers, so to speak, are these three gals. Look at the middle of verse 2. Mary Magdalene, she had seven demons. Wow, Jesus has turned her life around. I don't think, pretty sure I've never had seven demons in me. But I'm guessing if you have, that's a worm the butterfly metamorphosis you experienced. What a complete turnaround. And then you've got the second gal, Joanna. She's the wife of Herod's manager. She's, 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 she's married to Herod's manager, meaning the gospel message has infiltrated all sorts of ranks of people. You have a demon-possessed woman that the gospel has freed. You've got somebody that's on King Herod's cabinet who's married to a believer. And, and this gal is actually traveling supporting Jesus financially, even though she's still in this marriage. Two significant gals. And then look at the third one there, Susanna, verse 3, which Luke doesn't give us many or any details about, which reminds me of that third sister from Hamilton's musical. If you're unfamiliar, there's Angelica, Eliza, and Peggy. <laughs> it's like, uh, I mean, you've got to mention her because she's actually in the family, but we don't know anything about her. I may have to say sorry to her someday and glory for that, so sorry, Peggy, uh, ahead, but that's the three ladies. Mary, Joanna, Susanna, 
to the point at hand, they are with Jesus. They are hearing his word. They are obeying it. They are supporting him financially. A good example for all of us to be committed to Jesus' mission requires financial commitment. They're offering it. Here then is the bookend to the section as we're considering who really is Jesus' family? Who are his true mothers and brothers? It's not those related to him biologically. It's those who are related to Jesus obediently. That's what Luke is telling us. That's who really is in Jesus' family. If you are in Jesus' family, you hear the word of God and do it. Hear the word of God and do it. But if Jesus' biological family had to learn in front of a crowd that they weren't actually who Jesus considered his true family, I wonder if any readers of Luke might have to learn that lesson too. I wonder if any of us in here might need to learn that we may not be in Jesus' family because those who are in Jesus' family aren't those who you would think. And I wonder if some of us in here may go, well, I thought I was in Jesus' family, but it's not who you would think. So if you're listening, I hope you're tracking and asking the question, well, who really is in Jesus' family then? If it's not who you think, if it's not who I think, am I in Jesus' family? Are you? That brings us to our second question. Are you really in Jesus' family? We're going to answer this one in verses 4 to 15. Look in the text. There's a huge crowd. Jesus is going to tell a parable. Pick up with me in verse 5. A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Notice in that last phrase, we pick up this key word from this passage, hear. Those in Jesus' family hear Jesus' words and obey. And that last statement there in verse 8, helping us understand, there are some who are here, but they don't hear. Some who are H-E-R-E, hear, but don't H-E-A-R, hear. That's what Jesus is saying. Which leads the disciples to go, are you talking to us? Are we here but not hearing? They want to know what the parable means. We want to know if we're those folks you're talking about. And Jesus does explain the parable's meaning. But first he says something different in verse 10. Look at verse 10. Jesus says, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables so that seeing they may not see and Hearing, they may not understand. Okay, look there at verse 10, because especially if you're a grammar nerd, you're going to love this. For everybody else, bear with me. There in verse 10, we notice that there are quotation marks around Jesus' phrase, but then there's a single quotation mark in the middle of Jesus' phrase, which alerts us that Jesus is quoting someone else. So you come to something like that, and you go, well, who's he quoting? Answer, Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. That there are some who see, but don't see. There are some who hear, but don't hear. And what, what we have to understand is in Isaiah 6, 
Isaiah is giving judgment to people who consider themselves in the family of God. To Israelites who would say, I'm an Israelite ethnically, so bleh, of course I'm in the family of God. Israel, Isaiah is saying, not necessarily. There are some of you here who see, but don't actually see. You hear, but you're not actually hearing. Just because you're in proximity to the truth doesn't mean you've embraced the truth. Just because you're related to Jesus biologically doesn't mean you're connected to him obediently. So what Jesus is giving here is, is some judgment language from Isaiah. He's saying, I want you disciples to get the secrets of the kingdom of God. I want you to know everything God's doing. I want you to get it. But be careful because it's always been like this. There's people who are around the truth, but they don't get the truth. So the disciples are thinking, okay, we are warned, sufficiently warned. Can you help us know what this parable means so that we can be sure that we get the truth? So Jesus explains. The way this thing works, the seed is the word of God, and the word of God finds itself in four types of soils, four types of places. The first, 12, is the path. People on the path hear the word of God, but then the devil takes the seed away. So they're not believers. They heard it, but they're not believers. 13, some falls on a rock, and they hear the word with joy, but without a root, they fall away. They've got no root system. It's not going to last. Others find themselves next to thorns. And the thorns, verse 14, are those who hear, but then they get choked out by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life. Hello, Johnson County, 2023. If your Bible doesn't have a highlighter there saying, this is probably my issue, feel free to do it. This is, in my view, most prominent for us. Cares, riches, pleasures. But for those in the good soil, verse 15, those who hear God's word and hold it fast, hold it fast like a person who's been shipwrecked in the ocean and has a life preserver, hold it fast. That's what, that's a meaning here. Jesus explaining to the 12 disciples, the three gals, this, his true family, here are four types of soil, but only one gets it. There's only one type of soil who's really in my family. And what I want you to notice, church, is here's the surprise. All four types of soil say they hear. Do you notice that in the text? The, so, the, the seed that falls on the path, they actually hear. And I'm not talking about this Joel Osteen garbage. I'm talking about legit gospel proclamation. Like, Mill Creek means to be the kind of church that actually teaches God's word. We mean to be the kind of church where folks would go, man, God is there. Because through the power of the Spirit, we're just trying to say what the Bible says. We're trying to be faithful to this thing. We're trying to grow in godliness. Let God's word speak. And, and what Jesus is saying is there are people who hear the true gospel. People who heard the true gospel from Jesus himself. And yet... The devil snatched them up. Every type of soil they actually heard, it's clear in the parable. Just because you hear doesn't mean you are hearing. Which answers then this second question. Since the soil that makes it, since the soil that lasts is the good 
soil. How do we know if we're really in Jesus' family? Here's the answer. If we persevere in Jesus. And if you're a note taker person, I'd love for you to write that down. How do you know if you're really in God's family? Answer, if you persevere in Christ. That's how you know you're in the family. What Jesus is saying, verse 15, is those that, those that are in my family, it's not that you're related to me biologically. It's that you're related to me obediently and you persevere. Hold the gospel with an honest heart. Bear fruit with patience. And if you are holding on to this life preserver called God's word, still you're in. Here's what this means. If you're sitting there after this service and you're feeling very troubled and you're thinking to yourself, I don't know if I actually have the confidence that I'm a Christian. I, I, I would like assurance of my salvation. I don't know if I have it. How would I know if I have it? Based on this passage, if you came to one of us and said, could you just counsel me through this? How do I know if I'm really in God's family? Questions for you would be something like this. Well, tell me, are you holding fast to God's word? And if you said, I don't, I don't know that I'm holding fast to God's word, then we'd say, well, I don't know if you're a Christian. We might ask, are you hearing God's word with an honest and good heart? Like genuinely coming to God's word and saying, whatever you're going to call me to do, I will do it. And in any way that God's word is convicting you, you have already decided when nobody was looking, when it wasn't cool, when it, when it only mattered between you and God, you've said to him, I will obey you no matter what. Is that your heart posture to the Lord? Whatever it says, I'll obey it. When it's easy and when it's hard. When I'm encouraged to obey it and when I'm embarrassed to obey it, I will obey whatever you say. Is that you? And if you say, no, it's not, then I'd say, Based on this passage, I'm not sure you're in the family. If we ask you the question, are you bearing fruit with patience? Day after day, year after year, are you continuing to go back to God's word and let it be the compass for you? And if you said, no, I'm not, then I'd say, well, well then I don't think, according to Luke 8, you're in the family. In the event you're doing those things, be encouraged because... because it sure seems like you're in the family. But the challenge, of course, is this. Well, how long, pastor, does a person have to persevere before they can have some confidence they're really in the family of God? Like, how, how long do I have to hold fast to that life preserver before I can trust that I'm going to make it to the end? How much fruit does a person have to patiently produce before they can definitively say, Whew, I'm in the family. Because, because so often we're sliming around like worms, aren't we? So often we feel like caterpillars and not butterflies. So what are we supposed to do if, frankly, based on these questions, we think, I'm not sure if I'm really in Jesus' family. What should I do? That's a great question, and it's the last one that this text is going to answer. What if I don't know if I'm really in Jesus' family? Verses 16 to 18 answer it. Now these final three verses, they are the most dense, but once you get them, they're going to offer the greatest encouragement because as it turns out, Jesus does not want us in the dark. He doesn't want you in the dark. I don't want you in the dark. I do not want you leaving this room 
driving away and going, "Eh, I'm still not sure. I want the lights to come on for you. So does Christ. He wants to give you confidence. Look with me, verse 16. Let's, Let's work through this so you can know. Verse 16, no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. That's all common sense, I hope you're thinking, and it's true. If you, take, if you take a big candle or a flashlight into a room, you don't, you don't put it under the bed or else it's not going to work. Understand that Jesus is calling himself the light, and his reasoning is something like this. Hey, disciples, I'm the kind of lamp that goes on a stand in the middle of your room, and I light everything up, and I want you to see confidently. That's the kind of light Jesus is. He's not going under the bed. He's not going in a jar. Jesus is the kind of light that when he comes into your room, you see it all. Now, Jesus has changed word pictures. We were talking about seed and soil. Now we're talking about light in a room. Jesus wants us to see. That's verse 16. Look at 17. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. If you put your finger on the word secret here, you'll find it's also up in verse 10. If you look up at verse 10, what Jesus says is, I want you all to know all the secrets of the kingdom. I want you to know how this thing works. And and, and what Jesus is saying here in verse 17 then is something like this. Hey, disciples, hey, women, hey, followers of me, hey, those of you in my true family, I'm not going to keep you in the dark. You are going to get it all. You're going to know all the secrets. You're going to get to know all the stuff. If you're in here and you want to know all the stuff, Jesus is saying, I want you to know all the stuff. You're going to get all the things. He's going to turn the lights on. All that you don't get right now, you will get. It's all going to be known. If you are in my family, you will know it all. All the secrets are coming to light. Implicitly, Jesus is saying, have patience. Have patience. I want you to get it all, but you're going to have to stick with me. Jesus is saying, I'm the light. Stay close to me. Have some patience. Verse 18 then, he says, take care then how you hear, which is our key word again. Take care then how you hear. For the one who has, more will be given. From the one who has not, Even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Jesus then connecting this idea of perseverance, saying, if you really want to know if you're in my family, and if you want to understand all the secrets, if you want to know all the things, stay with me, keep hearing. And whoever has that understanding and takes care of how they hear, they're going to get more and more and more. You're going to get it all. But for those who don't take care how they hear, even what you think you have, you're going to lose. That's what Jesus is explaining here. Be careful how you hear Jesus. Be careful what you do with God's word. This then is a warning. I love the way Bach puts it. One of the commentators I read, he He writes it this way, those who respond spiritually to the word, those who receive it, they continue to get more spiritual blessing, while those who do not receive the word and thus do not have it, they actually lose whatever they possess. 
Here then is the answer to our third question. What if I don't know if I'm in Jesus' family? What should I do? Here it is. Stay close to Jesus. He's the light. Stick with him. Stay close to him. He wants you to see. We could say it negatively. If you don't stay close to Jesus, you're not going to persevere. If you're not hearing the word of God with an honest heart, if you're hearing the word of God with a dishonest heart, you come to God's word wondering, how can I use God's word or manipulate God's word for my purposes? That's, that's not how you make it. If you're not willing to patiently stick with it, then you're not staying close to Jesus. But if you stick with him, if you stay close to him, if you have patience with this process, then know this, the more you hear, the more you will understand. Jesus really, really will reveal everything about his kingdom to you, but you have to stick with it. And I hope this is an encouraging word for anybody here who may be new to the faith. Like, man, I've only been a Christian for a little bit. I feel like you guys have all this stuff you know. It's okay, stick with it. You're going to get it all too. Or for those of you who've been a Christian for decades, and maybe you're like, I just have so far to go. Stick with it. Stay close to Jesus. There's so much we don't understand. Staying close to Jesus, persevering, patience, will prove you're really in God's family. That doesn't mean there won't be times you feel like a worm instead of a butterfly. We may feel those ways. But having walked through our passage, what we see is our metamorphosis into Jesus' family takes more patience than a caterpillar turning into a butterfly does. But it's every bit as real, even though it takes longer for us. Well, that's our text. Let's make the move for home as we think through how to apply this text to our lives. In view of what this scripture says, let's move to application. Three applications before I finish. Here's the first one. Hear and obey God's word. If you're taking notes, I'd love for you to write that down. Hear and obey God's word. This is undoubtedly Luke's primary point in this section. He wants us to hear and obey God's word. He wants us to get that seed. He wants us to be the good soil. And how does this happen? By hearing and obeying God's word. Being diligent with God's word. Like a person in the ocean who's been shipwrecked, holding on to this life preserver, this word gives us life. If you were in the ocean, if we were in the ocean and we all had a life preserver and you saw a couple people taking theirs off, flippantly playing with it, throwing it back and forth, you'd think, what in the world is wrong with you? <laughs> this is real. This is serious. You, you will die if you don't hold on to this life preserver. And that's what God's word is to us. How we hold on to it. We don't worship God's word, but it is how we learn to worship God. So you've got to understand, friends, judgment is Coming And for those who don't take care how they hear, for those who don't hold God's word fast, your judgment will be awful. Which means if you're here 
and you are showing up week after week. Maybe you're a friend and you just go, man, I, wanna, I like my friend, so I go to this church because they're there. But I get up here and preach or whoever gets up here and preach and all you hear is Charlie Brown's teacher. If that's you. Or maybe you're a spouse or a kid in a family and you, I'm just so tired of fighting. I just, I'll go to church. And then we get up here, we start talking about God's word and all you hear is blah, 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 blah. Can't wait till he prays. I'm done again for another week. If that's you, if that's you, that you are here, but you are not hearing then this is a warning to you. You are demonstrating you are not in the family of God. You are seeing, but you're not seeing. You're hearing, but you're not hearing. And I'm doing my level best to tell you, if you don't change courses, if you don't start to hear, if you don't call out to God and say, oh my goodness, that's me. I... I go to Charlie Brown teacher mode when they start preaching and I don't get it. Ask him for a life preserver. Ask him to give you Jesus that you may actually be able to see and hear the way he wants you to see and hear. Because someday you're going to answer for it and you won't be able to say, I didn't know. Yes, you did. You're here right now. It's being delivered to you. Hear and obey God's word. Take care how you hear, verse 18. Verse 21, hear and obey God's word. That's a sermon in a sentence. But those of you who go, no man, I, I am pastor, I am hearing and obeying God's word. It's just, it's just that change is slow and it fills me with such doubt. Application two, be patient with yourself. And this is the one I need more, as much as anybody in here. I need this, maybe you do too. For anybody here thinking, man, I'm just so new to Jesus. Or I never knew how the Bible really worked. Or I've read Luke 8 20 times and I didn't know that's actually what Luke 8 meant. Maybe you're feeling discouraged. I don't understand the secret things of the kingdom of God, pastor. I get it. Be patient. I don't get the secrets of the kingdom of God exhaustively either, just in case you're under the impression. I know Luke 8 because y'all paid me 20 more hours to study Luke 8 for you. But pick a different book of the Bible, chapter 8, and I don't know that one. What our text is showing us is there is nobody who just gets it all. Christian discipleship is not a hot pocket that you put into the microwave for two minutes and have lava burning in your mouth. That's not how Christian discipleship works. Oh, I wish it was. We make disciples for God's glory. Come, follow us as we're disciples who make disciples for God. Take two minutes in the microwave and you're fully prepared, ready to eat, burning people's mouths off. Okay. It's not the way it really works. Luke 8 is teaching us progressive understanding is a thing. Okay, progressive, little by little, understanding more and more about the Bible, that's a biblical concept. Progressive understanding is a thing. The more you stick with Jesus, the more you're going to know. So stick with Jesus, the more you're going to know. I don't know how much you know right now. It'd be hard for me to quantify how much I don't know. But the more I learn about Jesus, the more I realize I have so much more to know. 
It's like my friends who study for a PhD. God bless them. I can't imagine myself ever doing that, which I suppose means now I'm going to have to do it. I don't know how that works. But for those who actually study, they tell me they start to like drill down into one specific subject and they drill all the way down. They read everything they can on that and they get to the end of it and they go, all I learned is what I don't know, which is everything. It's just like, there's so much I don't know. And, and as you stick with Jesus, what you find is you may know more than you did yesterday or a year ago or a decade ago, but the more you know about Jesus, the more you realize, I'm never going to plumb the depths of this thing, which I think is one reason we have eternity. I wouldn't be surprised if every day in eternity we learn one new thing about God, and the reason it goes on forever is because we'll never get it all. But a trillion years into eternity, we're going to know more than we know right now. But 10 trillion years after that, we'll know more. Progressive understanding is a thing. Be patient with yourself. Because look, even Jesus' true family didn't get it. The 12 disciples, when Jesus dies on the cross, they're so confused. They're so out. They're like, what in the world is happening? Or in Acts chapter 1, they're all together. And you remember what happens in Acts chapter 1? It's like almost all done. He's getting ready to ascend. And they say, is it time, Jesus, for you to become the geopolitical king and just kick Rome in the teeth? And I just imagine Jesus going, oh, good grief, gentlemen. <laughs> you still don't get it. They don't get it. They don't get it. So many of us don't get it either, but let's just be patient with ourselves. Stick with it. It's going to take time. It's going to take time, which leads us to point three, application three, forgive me. Don't stop. So, in case you didn't know, the doctrine of eternal security is controversial. And this is what we're touching on here. Do people who actually declare themselves saved in Christ, do they last? Can a person profess faith in Jesus, get baptized in that tub, stand up here on a Sunday night, become a member of our church, and then fall away? Can that happen, pastor? Eternal security. Is it true or is it not? Mill Creek's answer, my answer, if you're a member of this church, we've asked you to sign off on this essential. Those genuinely born into the family of God will never be lost. If you're genuinely a Christian, you will never fall away. God is the one who adopted us. We didn't adopt ourselves into his family. He's the dad. He did it. Good luck telling your dad you don't want to be adopted by him. See how that goes. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. He brought us to life. We didn't pick him. He picked us. How are we going to unpick him? Which means that if you said, okay, yeah, 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 but what about so-and-so who said they were a Christian, became a member of the church, got baptized, but now don't follow Jesus even though they were a member for a while? What about that person? Of course, our answer would be, if they didn't persevere, then they weren't a true Christian. Because true Christians persevere. True Christians don't stop. Well, what do you do with that person then who's, who's no longer demonstrating? Well, that's... And the answer is that is church discipline, and I'm happy to explain that concept offline if, if you'd like. It's in the scriptures. But to the point at hand, while you may not find it as intellectually satisfying as you like, while you may find some of the rational, while you may find some of this argument circular, the truth is, true Christians don't stop. And based on the authority of this text, Jesus' words right here, I'm telling you, this is what separates the good soil from all the other three. And if you're sitting there thinking, man, I don't know if I'm in God's family, how can I know for sure, for sure, for sure? Here's how you can know is that you don't stop. 
You don't stop it. If this is a race, we don't stop till we get to that finish line. God bless Joni Birch, Pastor Marty's wife who passed away this week. And she didn't stop. Through the end, she's running through the tape. Went to a track meet with my kids. Middle school track meet. If you haven't been to one of those, you haven't really lived. <laughs> I got a precious little daughter. She was eight years old at the time. 12 and 14-year-olds are running some ungodly number of laps. They're running one lap faster of an eight-lap race than I could run a whole lap myself. And, but they're tired, and there is a fierce, stiff wind on the back corner. And I, I see my little daughter there. She's so excited to be there. And she says the best words to these kids as they come by, some that she knew, some she didn't. Didn't tell her. To, she just had thought of this on her own. She just said, don't stop. Don't stop. And I just find such encouragement from that for us. Because the Christian life can feel like a race, yeah? Sometimes it doesn't feel like we're on a track. Sometimes it feels like we're running through snow. Or we're running in mud. And you get tired. And you show up on Sundays and you believe it, but then Monday comes or Tuesday comes and life kicks you in the face. And you get, and that there's a wind. And sometimes you just need somebody looking at you and just going, whatever you do, don't stop. Because if you don't stop, you will make it to the end. Church, don't stop. If you want to know if you're in the family, you'll know because you didn't stop. Because Jesus didn't stop, did he? No, he ran his race to the bloody end. He ran his race to the finish line, knowing that at the finish line was the hardest. He didn't stop. He did it. He finished. He sat down at the right hand throne of God. He said, I completed it all. And because of what Jesus did, we can be saved. More than that, we are motivated to finish our race as well. Hebrews 12 says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us set our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's not stop, church. Let's keep going. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.